The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. It was then at that moment that I, I realized, like, you only have a certain amount of time on this world. And whether you are the image of health or you have a degenerative disease, you only have so much time and you need to keep on using it. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Hey, Alex, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Edie. So I started to tell you this before we were recording and I stopped myself because I just I want to share it with everyone. When I first started doing the podcast, you were the first person that and I was doing it with Melissa at that point and she was in 100% agreement that we had to have you on the show. You are just such a uh, positive person. You emulate thriving to me. So I'm super excited to talk to you today. How, are you, how have you been? What's, what's new? I mean, I'm kind of overcome with flattery right now. So thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm just happy that you guys... Uh, you know, took something out of the stories and the conversations we've shared um, between the three of us, four of us. Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a little while, you know, especially since my diagnosis. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the world keeps on changing and we're in an interesting place right now. Um, I'm looking forward to the next challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, and I know that about you, that uh, whatever is going to be put in front of you, you're going to tackle it. Tell us about you were diagnosed very young. Tell us about how that came about for you. All right. So when I was diagnosed, it's a little bit different because, you know, right off the bat, I'm a dude. Uh, in case your listeners haven't figured that out by the deep husky voice. And I was also diagnosed when I was uh, actually pediatric. I was very young. I was sitting there and I was doing uh, track and field football. You know, I was an ROTC. I was like top shape of my life. I don't know if you guys can see this, but I actually brought this photo so you can see like ripped. I was in, you know, just absolutely insanely athletic, doing great in grades. And then all of a sudden... I realized I was like 16 at the time. I was at a track meet, and suddenly I realized I couldn't feel my left foot. Uh, it felt like it had just gotten numb, kind of like when you're sitting there and you're just chilling, and all of a sudden uh, your foot will go to sleep, and it feels like pins and needles. But this wouldn't go away. It just kept on going. And like a true teenage boy, I just decided, eh, I'll ignore it. I'll deal with that later. And so an hour goes by, two hours goes by, a week goes by, two weeks go by, and I haven't felt anything in my foot at all. And I'm wondering, like, what in the world is this? And then I had a track meet that night, too. So I was running the 200 meter, which is a pretty fast race. It's, it's awesome. And I got in there, and I looked to the left, looked to the right. And even though my foot's numb, I know I'm going to smoke these dudes because I've raced them before. So it doesn't matter. I've already got this in the bag. And uh, sat down. They popped the gun. 
boom, 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 pumping, pumping, pumping. Dude, these guys smoked me by like seven seconds, which in a 200 meter, you mean you might as well have not shown up. Like people were heckling me from the crowd. It was oh, insane. No. So I was so bad. My face is just bright red and I'm realizing, man, I can't run as fast. I can't stay in good shape. I can't feel my leg. What is going on with this? And uh, I talked to my mom very briefly and she was like, you've been feeling numbness for how long? Well, my mom was a nurse, like an oncology nurse back in like the 60s. So she takes this stuff seriously. So she had me with my doctor the next day. Again, I'm 16, so it's a pediatrician. I'm sitting on top of a purple hippo. Uh, they give me a lollipop that day. It was great. And I'm explaining all of these things like I don't know. I don't care how serious it is. And he's like, oh, okay, all right. Well, you know, you probably have like a pinched nerve or something like that. Don't worry about it. So they send me in for an MRI. And I'm like, awesome, I get to miss a day of school. And this was a small town, and we didn't have a very good MRI machine. So I actually, uh, it took four hours to get an oh. MRI of just oh. my spine. And wow. it was one of those old school ones where, like, you know when you're in there and you have the headset, and they yell at you if you swallow? Oh, <laughs> that was my situation. You had to be perfectly still. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, whatever, I've got a pinched nerve. And they send the results back, and all of a sudden, a couple of days later, a neurosurgeon calls me. Which generally, you know, not a good sign when they combine those two words. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a little frightening. When you're not looking forward to go into those guys. And uh, they called me in and they slapped up the film on one of those old projector things. And uh, he points to this little dot that's right in there. And I was smart enough. I knew that that was a spinal cord. I, I was hoping it wasn't mine because there was a glowing white dot right there. In okay. a, right there where my spinal cord would be. And he said, so that's a tumor. We need to get that tested. Um, okay. You're looking at, we're going to assume this is nothing. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Uh, you'll just have to have six to eight weeks of bed rest. Um, probably <laughs> your school year's done. You know, and I'm, I'm 16. You know, I'm, and active, I'm just getting, very active it, And active. So now I'm terrified. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm sure it's nothing. So they send me back for a full body MRI because they're, they're fearing cancer at this point. And they send me in, and if it took four hours to do my spine, you can imagine thinking. how long it, it, you can imagine how long it took me to do the entire body. And anybody who knows me knows I'm a bit squirrely. So, you know, getting yelled at in an MRI machine for like nine hours was not fun at all. Uh, but eventually we got it done and they brought back all the stuff and they brought me back the next day, which oh. is really not a good sign. And uh, when they showed me the, the, film of my brain and again they've been telling me like don't worry about it it's just it's like one i'm sure it's benign it's just one tumor don't worry about it there was something like 35 tumors in my brain okay okay so and i'm they sitting kept there calling it a tumor huh yeah they kept calling it a tumor well tumors at this point like right. my brain lit up like a christmas tree and so i'm staring at it and i'm 16 and i'm like well so i'm dead you know there's no coming back from that i'm sure. gonna be gone i'm not gonna get to go to senior prom this is you know do not Pasco, do not collect $200 situation. Um, and they just start talking. And the, ner the neurologist and the neurosurgeon and my mom are just talking, talking, talking. And, you know, it, I tuned out. It kind of went into, like, Charlie Brown, if you've ever seen those cartoons before. And all the adults are wah, 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 wah. And I'm just, like, trying to figure out what am I going to do. And all of a sudden they start talking about autoimmune conditions and stuff like that. And the neurologist, who was a very good neurologist very very great he was like ah, i think it's this and then he said some word and i i heard like sclerosis and i was like that doesn't sound good um and then he sat down and explained no i think you have this disease called multiple sclerosis and i had never heard of it at that point 
I mean, right. why would I if I was a 16-year-old dude and nobody in my family has autoimmune conditions? So he explains the process and what this means if this is, in fact, what I have. And they did a couple more tests, and you know, including a spinal tap, which, by the way, isn't awesome, is not great, not fun. And I'm glad you called it a spinal tap because, you know, the lumbar puncture, right? I don't, people don't take it as serious when you say lumbar puncture. <sighs> it is a spinal tap all day, every day for me. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and they sent me in there and it sounds exactly as much fun as it is. Anybody who's ever, and apparently it's not even a part of the diagnosis anymore. I don't know if you know this, new patients don't even have to deal with that anymore unless they go to an old school neurologist. For me personally, now my mom had some pull because she was a nurse, so she got like the best person that she knows to go in there and do it. It still took this woman four sticks to get all of the fluid out. It was insane. I remember sitting there and I always try to be like the least complaining patient of the day. And eventually I was like, man, so are we almost done? And she says, yeah, I almost got some fluid that time. <sighs> that was That was not a fun day. Um, okay, so I went from thinking I have cancer, 30 tumors, to they're doing a spinal tap to confirm that maybe it is this MS thing and not cancer, to now, because he took such a large amount of fluid, um, the recovery period is not fun. So, you know, I would have to lay in bed, and if I moved my head half an inch to the left or to the right, just projectile vomiting as far as I possibly could across my room. It was insane. Just, just, I'm sorry listeners for TMI, but like literally just vomiting everywhere. It was awful. One of the worst periods of my life. Anyway, came back, my uh, fluid was clean. It was not cancer. It was MS. And that was my introduction to the disease. And then, you know, to top it all off, he says, don't worry, we're going to put you on this great medication. It's fantastic. We've had it for a while. Uh, it's a self-injectable. And I was like, oh, what now? <laughs> and he says, yeah, it's this little needle that you're going to stick inside your body like every other day. It's going to be great. And here's the thing. I'm afraid of needles. So I, p I picked the wrong disease. So I'm 16. I've, I'm now going from death to I'm having to inject myself with needles. And it was just this whole awful ordeal. And I hope that everybody else has a much easier time getting diagnosed than I do. But that was my life. And that's the way I lived it. Okay. At this point, your head, leg had been numb. Mm -hmm. Has it progressed at all? Had it like regressed? What were you feeling? So throughout the entire diagnosis, as about as bad as it got was the numbness and some tingling going up the leg. And of course, you know, okay. they, after we got a diagnosis, they prescribed some IV steroids, which is always fun because I don't know about you. They prescribe so much steroids to me that when the nurse walks in and looks at the order and then looks at you and then looks at the order again and says, let me just go check something real quick. And then they come back with the same. Yeah. And they're, they're like, dude, this is a lot of steroids. <laughs> um, that was as bad as it got for a couple of years. Unfortunately, even with medication, I was having breakthrough activity like every six months or so, um, and it just got worse every single time. I had such bad relapses that it went from numbness to complete paralysis in my left leg and my left arm. I actually met my future wife at that stage when I was sitting there wearing a diaper and I had no control over my left leg and my left arm. It got really bad with me. At the maximum, it was numbness, loss of motor control, loss of bowel control. I would get the searing pain. Really, it got really ugly for a long time. I've gone through three different medications before I finally, I've had no activity for the past five years, six years, 
six, five or six years since my last medication, I've had no activity, but it was a rough start for a while. Wow. I am so happy for you. So when you were going through all those symptoms, I heard you say you actually met your wife during that process. Yes. So uh, we're fast forwarding from my diagnosis when I was like 16 and now I'm like 18, 19. It's been a couple of years. I feel like I've figured this out and my MS hasn't gotten that bad at this stage. It was, I mean, you know, you would get nerve pain and you would get some, you know, some really significant numbness, but nothing debilitating. So I'm going to community college because, by the way, when you get diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and you were in the process of possibly going to the Air Force Academy or going into the military, they yank all that. You don't get that anymore. And that was my plan. I was going to go into the military and they kindly informed me that I'm no longer qualified. So I wasn't going to the big college anymore. Now I was going to the community college, which was a small college. A very small one. The cafeteria was about the size of the average dining room in the average house. There was three tables. And I remember walking in one day, and I'm, you know, 18, 19, and all of the tables are full except for one table. And there's just this one girl sitting there. And uh, she is smoking hot, like a 12 out of 10. (laughs) you know, like a walking <laughs> goddess kind of situation. Like she's way too pretty for me to even talk to legally. All of my, I'm afraid that if I go and walk near her, like some bouncer's going to walk up and like, sir, sir, stop hassling. You need to walk away. You get out of here. Get, what are you doing? You know, very cool, calm, collected me thinks, all right, I'm going to go handle it. I'm going to go borrow and I'm going to sit. I'm going to take the chair that's next to her and then sit with my friends who are all nerdy and dorky like me. And so that was the plan. And I was going to be cool. I was going to be calm. I was going to go great. And I walk up. And I'm like, hey, you know, voice immediately cracks, you know, (laughs) I'm like, is anyone anyone sitting here? And uh, she looks at me and, you know, big giant blue eyes. And she goes, oh, no. Now, I found out in her brain, she was thinking, oh, here we go. Here's a guy about to flirt with me. And I, you know, I'm like, thank you. And I sit down and then I just immediately turn and face away from her and just tried to ignore her. And in my brain, I was like, didn't vomit. Great job. This was a win. (laughs) now the girl yeah i was brave that day i talked to a girl i mean i only said three words but whatever anyway she did not find that satisfactory so she tapped on my shoulder and had me turn around and she said hi i'm jesse you know so she made me talk to her her. yes she she was fantastic now fast forward a few years and i'm married to her but it did not you know it was an interesting event I had only known her, you know, we started a conversation that day and we'd been talking. And then, you know, of course I had her sitting with my friends and the entire time we're all sitting there together. And then there's Jesse over here. And then all of us looking like absolute dorks and nerds. And, you know, it's kind of like Sesame Street, like one of these things is not like the other. And none of us could figure (laughs) out why she was sitting with us. And I wasn't very smart. Still, I'm not. And then one day, about a month later, I got hit with the worst one of the worst relapses of my life, um, all of the stress of final exams and everything. And I woke up that day getting ready to go to college and all about you guys. I woke up kind of like a wounded buffalo, not very smooth, not very small. And uh, I tried to roll out of bed and fell flat on my face. Like my nose Serious. was the first. Thing. And you can look in the ca- like it's a big nose. And like, <laughs> wham! And like you heard like things crack. And so I'm sitting there on the mm-hmm. ground like, Phew. Was I drinking? No. What am I? I'm 19. What am I doing? No, I wasn't. So I'm sitting here wondering what in the world is wrong with me. And I try to get up again and I realize I can't move my left leg. And I mean like at all. You could have offered me a million dollars to wiggle my big toe and I wouldn't have been able to do it. Nothing. 
So I'm thinking, okay. you know, in my brain, you know, 18, 19 at this point, and I'm like, oh, I'll just wake it up. It's what I'm going to do. It's going to be fine. And I start twisting and I'm like pulling on my toes and I realize I can't, I can't feel this at all. So now I'm pinching and I'm grabbing and I'm ripping at the skin, just trying to break it up because I'm, I'm panicking. I'm, I'm so scared. And I realize I mm -hmm. can't feel any of this. I can't move it. I can't feel it. It's essentially a meat noodle that's just kind of attracted to me. And I'm wondering, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to go there? So, you know, naturally... I called my friend and he drove me to school and I went to class like this. You did? I went to class. Well, I had an exam that day. So I had to finish it was the final exam. You know, that was a big deal. Um, you can imagine me like limping in on my friend, like literally like dragging a leg. You know, and of course, everybody looks at you like you're an idiot. Like, what is this guy doing? Faking a disease? Is he trying to get out of the test? No, I, you know, so they drug me in just dragging my meat noodle of a leg up to my desk. And I sat down, got an A. Got an A on the final exam. All yeah, right, good job man. me. Good job me. I was able to like compartmentalize and be like, no, let's ignore the fact that I'm having all of these issues. No, I'm just gonna take the test. At the end of that, Jessie, little girl, by the way, if you don't know, she's like 94 pounds, soaking wet, and I'm like 206 foot. You know, I'm a big dude. Uh, <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like, you need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, well, I've got another exam. And she's like, no, you need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I will go to the hospital. So 94 pound Jessie helps me into her car, takes me to the hospital. But at this point, now the left arm is gone. I can't move. I can't feel it. Nothing. And I've got stinging sensations going up my body. And I get hospitalized. And I'm sitting in there. And my doctor comes in three days later or so, because you know how it is. You're in there. They're saying it's a relapse. They start pumping you full of steroids. And you know the whole deal. I'm sitting in there not sleeping for three days because steroids, they're giving you so much. I'm eating 6,000 calories a day. And I think it's going to be like any other relapse because uh, I've had these before and it's just, you know, your stuff goes away. But my neurologist walks in and we'd been together for a few years at this point. And he sat down and he looked me in the eyes and he said, Alex, I got to be honest with you because I had made him promise that he would always be honest with me. He said, I don't, I don't think you're going to come back from this one. I don't, I don't think you're going to recover the use of your leg. I don't think you're going to walk again, Alex, without a wheelchair. I was 19 being told, for all intents and purposes, I'm paralyzed now. And it was like one of the darkest moments I've ever had in my life because I, I absolutely trusted this man with everything. But in that moment, I absolutely hated him because he was the messenger of, you know, Earth's dark reality. And in that lowest point, he leaves. So I'm sitting in that hospital room, alone, pumped full of steroids. I'm wearing a diaper. I can't move my left leg. I can't move my left arm. And uh, Jessie, the girl I've known for a month, just we're literally just like talking as friends. She comes walking into the room and she asks, oh, Alex, how are you? And now every single person here knows exactly what I said. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Life's, life's awesome. Uh -huh. But like as best as I possibly, yeah, I'm great. Yeah, because I was super excited now to see her. And it was like a, a breath of sunshine into the room. And for an hour and a half, she sat in there with me and she laughed at my dumb jokes and we ate terrible hospital food together. And for an hour and a half, I was just a guy talking to a pretty girl. And I will never be able to thank her enough for that because I got to feel like a real human again. I didn't feel broken, which so many of us feel in our darkest moments. And we feel like, you know, we're not worth much, but she, I was worth an hour and a half of her time. Within about a month and a half, we were dating. <laughs> I didn't realize what was gonna go on there. I didn't figure, I just figured she was being nice. Moment of my MS, 
she came back and that's you know so that's how i know she was going to stick with me because she literally came in at one of the worst times um and I'll, I'll always be thankful for her for that it takes a really rare person to see you at your worst and still be able to fall in love with you oh yeah and it's and it's that's the thing is that none of us with ms we didn't choose this condition none of us woke up and you know looked into a webster's dictionary and said oh multiples i'm gonna take that one that's gonna be great but our care partners the people that are with us they did have a choice whether we want to be honest about it or not they could have left some of them did those that stayed i have every ounce of respect and love for all of them across this world super special role and it's a lot of responsibility on now we're at this stage you're still 19 you can't walk you can't move your left side jesse's there you're falling in love i can see that raising your spirits but how have you gone from that to this because I see you moving a lot. Yes, I am moving around a lot. And I can, yeah, look at that left left, left arm right there. Um, <laughs> so the answer is a lot, like a lot of steroids and a lot of physical therapy mm. and a lot of just being too stubborn and stupid to give up. Just keeping on going. It was then at that moment that I, I realized like you only have a certain amount of time on this world. And whether you are the image of health or you have a degenerative disease, you only have so much time and you need to keep on using it. So right after Jesse left, I was sent to a rehabilitation facility and I worked harder than I ever have in my entire life to move my fingers like this. And at first they were just teaching me how to live with only one leg and one arm kind of situation, but slowly, oh, so slowly after about a year or two, I did regain first use of the leg and then feeling in the leg and it it recovered very slowly i changed medications clearly i had to go to another therapy this one was not an every other day shot but it was a monthly infusion so slightly less needles but still needles Mm -hmm. great good job for me (laughs) (laughs) um and things got a little bit better i still had another major relapse with on that medication which was a whole other issue but recovery always was a little bit slower and I felt like I was always waiting for the next time you know some of us have felt that where we feel like we make a couple of steps forward and then every couple of years we get shot back five or six steps so we're constantly losing constantly losing and it wasn't until I went on the last medication that I had now that I finally felt like I got to get ahead of that MS boogie monster and I've just been running away as fast as I can from him literally Well, I think your relentless attitude and positivity were probably big factors in your recovery because that is not a common story um, for people to come back in such an amazing way. How did that love help you and support you through this process? I mean, I just, I feel when you talk about her and when I hear you even say her name, you just have this sparkle. Here's the reality is that having someone or something that was worth it to me for a long time with a lot of people. You know, I've struggled with my own feelings of self-worth and that was before having MS. So you can imagine for a long time, I felt like I wasn't gonna be a real man. I wasn't gonna be someone who could provide for a family. I wasn't gonna be someone who could even be a member of a family who would wanna be with me. And the fact that she consistently chose to be with me and she consists you know she there was a time when i was laying in a hospital bed 
crying my eyes out because a doctor had just told me for the second time in my life that you're never going to walk again. You're never going to recover. And I, I screamed and yelled at Jessie trying to break up with her when she got off work because I wanted her to leave me. I didn't want to drag her down. I didn't want to ruin her life too. And she crawled into my bed, my hospital bed, and she held me. Again, 94 pounds, you know, she's holding me. And she said, don't you ever do that to me again. This is ours. I'm here. I will carry you if I have to for the rest of your life. And that's when I realized, like, it's not just about me now. It's not just an internal motivation. I had to find something else to be willing to fight for. And I wasn't going to be the one to ruin her life. And I had to keep going because she's worth it even on the days where I don't feel like I'm worth it. She's worth it. My daughter's worth it. Jesse and I, we have our daughter. She's two years old and Jesse's like eight and a half months pregnant. But she was constantly there though. She saw that. So I just, I had to fight for her. I had to fight for her future because it wasn't just me now. It was somebody else that was going on this journey together and I wasn't going to make it a dark journey. Okay. You told us now you've revealed the big one. You have Marlo, right? That's your daughter. Oh my God. She's the best kid ever. And she sleeps 10 straight hours every single night and takes a three and a half hour nap every single day. If he doesn't sleep for 11, 10 straight hours every single night, I'm gonna be like, bro, you're, you're a terrible child. What are you doing? And it's a boy. Yes. Uh, we've got a little boy coming. So I'm just dead. I'm done. You know, Marlo's already got me wrapped around her finger. You know, I'm, I am absolutely, you know, they say daddy's little girl. No, 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 no. I'm little girl's daddy. Like absolutely. And this was the universe, I think, like being like, all right, bro, this is what we're going to do for all of those times that you were a jerk. We're going to give you a redheaded daughter and you're mm -hmm. just going to have to try not to ruin her, not to spoil her too bad. And it's the bomb.com. Like, I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, living in Florida, that's the thing we do. But it's mm -hmm. it's almost like uh, some of the things I do to keep myself healthy with my MS. We go to the springs. We swim in the pool. We, you know, I go in the shade and I just slather on SPF 5000 sunscreen and, you know, only spend X amount of time outside. She has to do a lot of the same stuff now. So it's just about managing those kind of things, keeping out of the heat. The reality of MS is it doesn't really care what you look like, what gender you are, it doesn't matter. It will strike you at the worst possible moment and it will bring you to your knees, quite literally, many times. I remember going to an MS walk down here in Orlando. And I remember that was when I first, like, I met you one-on-one -on -one kind of thing. I think you, yes. I'd, I'd met you briefly, but I actually got to sit down and have a conversation uh -huh. with you. And when I wasn't doing those conversations, I was actually, I'm a very shy person. I don't like talking now when you get to know me I'll, I'll go everywhere but you were one of the first people and i was in an ms walk as a guy so i felt almost like people were staring at me thinking i was faking it or they were looking for the woman that would be with me that would have ms but you came up and talked to me and asked me questions and that's how it came out and my story came out that i had ms that i was the patient that doesn't always happen. So many times if I would go with Jesse to some kind of event, whether it's um, a neurology conference or an MS walk or whatever it is, and I'd be with Jesse, they'd walk up to Jesse and talk to her and I'd get ignored. So it's people taking the attitude like you did at that MS walk of talking to me. And then we walked around that lake and we had a giant conversation. I, th I thought it was great. I still remember that conversation. I have the metal hanging in my closet. Um, but it's those steps, talking being open and just going and asking questions. That was an awesome day for me because I, I just found out so many different things about you, about your journey and, uh, and super inspired because 
yeah, if he can do it, why can't you just stay in that positive mode? And it's brought you a lot of great things and being around love, I feel like has even brought even better things to your life. And I'm super happy for that. I didn't realize that you changed from elementary to middle school. I did. I did. So I actually did it dreadingly, by the way. Um, But I had to have a good attitude. I had to surround myself with love. And luckily enough, not only did I change to middle school, my wife is now a teacher at my school. And our classrooms are next door to each other. Stop. So I joined her in middle school. And now I get to see her every (laughs) single day. Um, So I'm literally surrounded by love all the time. (laughs) I know middle school, I I changed from elementary to middle and I was a little nervous, but oh my gosh, I love it. I loved every second. I feel the exact same. And I can remember when I was in elementary, I don't know about you. Listen, middle school for me was the worst time of my life. So, I mean, and that's saying something (laughs) compared to like MS. Um, But so I was terrified of going in. I absolutely love those little buggers. They are so socially awkward, but so loving at this, you know, they're, they're too cool for anything, but at the same time, they want to know if their mom can bring in cupcakes for their birthday. So it's just that great dichotomy. I absolutely Mm. adore them. Oh, that's so great. And it's great to hear that you ended up finishing. I, we didn't um, wrap that story up completely, but you ended up finishing school and, and all of that to become an educator, which, you know, I feel like we give back so much of ourselves to the kids, right? And that lifts me up being around the children so much. So I love that for you. Thank you. And I've even been able to use my MS while teaching in that some of my kids have seen me walking around with a limp or something like that. And I've even, I had one student who got diagnosed and she had some damage happen in her brain. And so she could remember being able to think clearer. She can remember academics being easier. She can remember being able to move her leg easier. And I was able to bring in a copy of my MRI and show her that I know exactly what she feels like and she went from this withdrawn shy little kid who was ashamed of herself to feeling like she could have a future like she could come back and it's so being able to just talk to those kids and identify my own weaknesses and again having that conversation i've i found my thing i absolutely love it the ability to be vulnerable with them and have those conversations and you, you inspire me. I'm sure you're inspiring hundreds of kids at the same time. So what do you feel is your superpower? If you had a superpower, what would it be? All right. So I have nerve damage in my left leg. I mean, my left arm. So I can pick up very hot objects. No, I'm kidding. That's not my superpower. <laughs> my, I think it's just the ability to laugh at yourself. If I were to have anybody have that one superpower, which is being able to not take yourself so seriously, and I understand we all get so wrapped up in being adults and being grownups and not being vulnerable, but I feel like this world would be a much nicer place if we can all acknowledge that we're all capable of mistakes and all capable of not quite reaching what we want to do that day. So I mess up daily. I get something wrong daily. And it's the first thing I do with my students or with my wife is I say, I was wrong. My bad on that. This is how I'm going to try and fix that. And if we can have everybody just not take themselves seriously and acknowledge they make mistakes, that would be a superpower I think they should take. You talk about Jessie and you being out of her league, but I really need to get to know this lady because she is married to a very special guy. 
I really appreciate you being here today, Alex, with us. This has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you. And for all the listeners who I'm sure they've stayed till the end because this has been such a great conversation. We've hooked up once before and we ended up missing each other. And so this was our second round. And I'm just thrilled that we we got to have this chat. Um, I appreciate it because you know, this is called Thriving Over Surviving, and you are the definition to me of a relentless thriver. So thanks for sharing your story today, Alex. I appreciate it so much. Once again, like this has been a blast. I hope we can do it again. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving. Thriving.